tapping into his own New Zealand Army career in military intelligence. And with information from a handy anonymous source, Darren Dance has written a novel where Wellington is the setting for a spy thriller. Whiskey, Lima Golf, says Army vet Tom Tamati Yelich in a wheelchair and struggling with depression after being injured and on duty in Afghanistan. But then he and his best army mate, Devon, enter the shady world of international espionage being played out on the streets of Te Whanganui Atara. Brad Warrington reads from Whiskey Lima Golf. OK, Tom, about your injury. George takes a seat beside Tom's bed and starts to explain. Mate, the good news is it's not fatal and you'll get an early ticket home. I somehow didn't think I'd be playing rugby anytime soon. Tom wisecracks, putting on a brave face. So the bad news? According to these doctors, they managed to get most of the shrapnel out and prevent an amputation. But there's a pile of nerve and tissue damage in your hip and leg. George pauses and grimaces. Well, there's no easy way to say this, but they reckon you won't walk unaided again. His last statement leaves everyone in the team speechless. Trevor bursts back into the ward with a wheelchair spinning the chair around as he pushes it next to Tom's bed. Come on, sunshine. Here's your new wheels. Then he notices the silence. Who's the party pooper? Everyone looks at the wheelchair as George's words sink in. Tom realises that if he can't walk, he's out of the troop and probably the army. He will lose his SAS family. His military career is over. Darren, I, I don't know how much I can ask you about what happened. This is the trouble <laughs> when you're talking to somebody who's been in a military intelligence, but it's acknowledged that you, you, know, you had a role there with the army. Yes. So, I mean, how deeply have you delved into your own experiences without giving away any state secrets, obviously. Well, military intelligence is very different to state intelligence between countries, and there's all sorts of intelligence when you're talking about, even in business, there's there's huge amounts of uh, counterintelligence and intelligence gathering goes on there. So uh, it's kind of like researching, but... um, in a very different way. And um, yes, of course, there's a bit of few hijinks and stuff you can get up to, but obviously I haven't had a role with the SIS, so I'm not revealing anything Even if you had, you couldn't tell me, of course, Darren. (laughs) But you do say in the information that, uh, you know, you have contacts who are more in that world because accuracy, even though we don't know the intricacies as readers, I guess it's important to you to be as accurate as you can be around some aspects of it. To be authentic. I think yeah. the um, otherwise the book would be, no disrespect, but would be another James Bond in Fleming-type romp, and that's not what I was trying to achieve. Tom is kind of the antithesis of that. He doesn't have to be the Bond hard man. In fact, we have tears from him. You know, we're with him as he's really struggling emotionally mm. through through so much physically and emotionally. And I, I mean, it feels like kind of an attack on those spy stereotypes, really, and even masculine stereotypes. I think the public perception of SAS soldiers as being big, masculine, macho, tattoo-filled he-men is just absolutely wrong. If you've ever seen the people that actually make it through the SAS program, most of them, you'd walk past them in the street and wouldn't notice them because although they are fit 
it's more about a mental discipline and, and, and inner strength which gets them through things. So they don't look big, bulky he-men, and they're, they're not the James Bond types. You want to be able to blend and, and, and move and have that determination. And I think that's what I've tried to convey with Tom is um, his sheer determination to get things done. We are with him kind of on the front line. We are with him when he gets injured, and we are with him as he as he's working through PTSD. He's in the midst of, of this as well. It's complex for him, isn't it, when he's told he can't walk again? Absolutely, and it's one of those things where I've had experience of being told I couldn't walk again from an industrial accident where I was run over by a forecoist and I had to learn to walk again, and I wasn't going to accept that diagnosis. So I worked hard and, and got back to being able to play touch rugby. That was my goal. And since then, I've run half marathons and, and carry-ons. So his recovery comes directly from my own experience, obviously not from a war injury. But you can project that out as a writer, so you draw well, on that. You've yeah. enjoyed hanging out with him, haven't you? Oh, yeah. The, this is it's the wonderful thing about being a writer is you... you, you have these characters come to you and you start exploring them and writing about them. You have these plot threads where you think they're going to go, but then they get a mind of their own and they wander off in a different direction. And you're going, hang on a minute, is this right? Yeah, and of course it is, because they know what's going on and and trying to keep true to that character's state of mind is is quite quite a lot of fun. He's a strong mm. he's a strong character, but again, it's a support base when he comes home. Without Devon, his best mate, who's a great character actually, is he based on on someone you know? Um, he's like the perfect best mate, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's sort of taken from a few different friends, different uh, aspects of his personality, and I think you draw on that for with most of the characters. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Devon is is a, a good mate, and I've sort of modelled him on on a, a couple of friends of mine. Because he's, he's encouraging. I mean, it's that dark kind of military humour, I think, yeah. in some ways. Journalists have it too. From the outside, it would seem really inappropriate. But it's the way that communication happens, isn't it? There is a language within the military. Yes, there is. And it, as you say, it can be quite confronting if you're not used to it. But no, it's, it's, it's also one of that camaraderie. They come from different backgrounds. They've, they've worked together and they've um, come back together. They always have that bond and that good-natured joshing each other along. And the Fano Koro in particular, I think this is based on one of your grandparents, yes. is that right? Yeah. Uh, and he's the central character just in terms of his steadfastness, his sense of um, self and identity, his confidence in being Māori. And, and I think you've explored your Māori heritage also in, the, in research in the last six years, so I guess there's something here too of that. Yes, there is. That Papa research I've been doing has been Te Ao Māori is such a wonderful world to explore and, and, and to be able to experience. And I was able to bring that back into my own life. So I really have tried to express and incorporate those traditions within. Although within our uh, whānau, we've been disconnected from the iwi for a few generations, Koro is based on a combination of a couple of grandparents and how... There was a little bit of banter within the home and that sort of thing. So not so much the full traditions. I've tried to weave that back in. I've attempted to weave the 
translations within the text there where you have somewhere like someone like Danny who's Pakia and is learning to Rio and so you you have that sort of backwards and forwards and so you don't have to always put that full translation you have in. a plodding yeah. exposition yeah. right and I've seen it done in different ways and although in the past it's been you italicize different languages and then put your glossaries in the back I've I've steered away from the italicising and just put the the meanings in the back. So you can generally read the context as you if you 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 don't want to refer to the, the glossaries, otherwise just yeah, crack on with it and enjoy the read. What can you tell us without any spoiler alerts needing to be raised about what Tom and Devon find themselves becoming part of a bigger and bigger story, escalating story? I think the novel and the follow-up books which I've planned out with the pivot from the Middle East to the Indo-Pacific I believe that New Zealand will become more of a, a player within the international environment So beyond Five Eyes? Yes, well mm. we're, we're, we are a junior member of Five Eyes and obviously we have those responsibilities but we have always tried to steer our own political path and we've always been very welcoming and, and open and, and trying to forge relationships throughout the international world. So I can see us playing quite a mediator-type role in a lot of areas if our politicians and, and our uh, citizenry support that. I believe that we could play a very pivotal role in the future of the Indo-Pacific region. can make As, us a target too, though, of course. We're already a target. We always have been. This is the thing. You look back through our history, we always have been a target. There's always been spy activity going on within and around New Zealand for all sorts of things. And it's from our supposed friends too, half the time. And the Rainbow Warrior was a classic one. But um, there's been a lot of other instances where our friends have been doing dubious activities around here. So, and, and I think that's the thing when it comes to the spy world. You're looking after your interests full stop. I mentioned before that Wellington is the backdrop. It's the thing about Scandi Noir, you know, the backdrop can become a character within a novel like this. And you're very precise in Whiskey Lemma Golf in terms of you're on Featherston Street or Parliament or wherever you might be. The, mm. the geography clearly is very important to you as a writer. Are you quite a visual writer? Uh, yes, and, and I, I love the fact that I'm not a Wellingtonian native, but um, I, I love the city. There's so much about it, which is just fantastic. And Wellington, Whiskey Lima Golf, is another character in the book, essentially. It's got its own brooding nature that's going on, and it's in its bright party atmosphere as well at different times. So I purposely made it quite specific around the streets and following uh, when they're following different characters within the story, uh, because these days... You can pull up on your Google Maps and you can go, where is that? Oh, oh, they're going around there. You can, so you can, if you're not in New Zealand or Wellington, you don't have to be. You can still go and see what they're seeing. I haven't asked you about Kendrick because you've got to have, you know, someone you hate in a story like this, and we don't mm. like him from the start, and we know that he is a terrible leader and a and a liar. I mean, how did he come to get so high in the ranks when clearly? He's not skilled for it. Is that uncommon or is that common in, in the military? I think it's common. In everywhere? All, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People get over-promoted beyond their capabilities um, and it's generally because they've done something for someone somewhere in the past. And, yeah, I tried to hunt at that with um, part of Kendrick's 
getting told off by his boss back at Langley. That's the only reason why he's still given this opportunity. And then being sent yeah. out yeah. To, to Aotearoa. Yeah. Kind of like a punishment. Whiskey Lima Golf by Darren Dance is published by the Batch Doctor Press.